so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. Welcome to Fright Night. With your two hosts, one man who never casts a reflection is Bread Roll. I'm joined by the man whose mother has left a note. His dinner's in the oven. It's JT. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if my dinner was in the oven? I have to make my own dinner these days, Bread Roll. <laughs> Hello, everyone. What a great intro um, in your true Peter Vincent style. Excellent stuff. Um, what are we looking at this week then, Bread Roll, if people didn't get it from the uh, intro there? Yeah, well, that ridiculous uh, ensemble wasn't enough. We are indeed looking at Fright Night, which came out on August the 2nd, 1985. A good year, I might add. It had a budget of seven, uh, well, between seven and 9.25 million, and it had a box office of 24.9 million. So it actually did really well, all things considered, even though the, uh, obviously the budget was minuscule. It was a B movie. And it stars Chris Sarandon. Yeah, um, didn't do too bad at all, the box office, did I? I've got that here in my sort of opening notes. Um, you say 1985 was a great year. Obviously, um, superb people were born in 1985. Um, August 2nd, also a great date because it's my dad's birthday. There we go. Right. So um, <laughs> put the two, to get, two uh, together and you have a great date and a great year. Absolutely. Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. And um, this particular one, uh, Fright Night is such, obviously did go on to do a sequel, which I think I saw once and don't remember a damn thing about it. And also had a remake in 2011, which actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but obviously, like most uh, of these horror remakes, not a patch on the original, really. Um, have you, you had seen this um, original version of Fright Night before that, hadn't you, JT? I had, but... Do you know what? Watching this again last week, that's a different story because I was very hungover. But watching it properly this week, um, hence why the podcast was delayed for a week. Sorry, everyone. Um, I didn't remember much about it. There are bits of it I could remember. And obviously, I know you high, sort of hold this fairly high without giving too much away. I don't know what your score is going to be. Um, but yeah, I reckon I've probably only ever seen this once or twice. And that would have been around sort of the time it came out or been sort of a few years of it coming out when I was still at school. Um, and I certainly haven't seen the sequel or the remake. Ah, fair. Yeah, um, this is a bit of a childhood favourite of mine, um, this particular one. But it is one of those movies, I think, when people think vampire movies, this is more of a kind of maybe a cult movie more than anything. It's not like a mainstream known movie. Like, we've already done things like The Lost Boys and Interview of the Vampire. They're obviously really well-known movies. I reckon if you said to someone Fright Night, they might know a bit more now, maybe because of the remake or so. But I doubt it's one that, you're like you're just your casual kind of like movie goer would have seen. No, not at all. The the two films you've mentioned there, certainly Lost Boys, I've seen a fair few times. So I don't know why I haven't ever seen this again because I do remember liking it when I originally saw it. It's just one I've just never really got around to watching again. I don't think it's obviously not that widely available or whatever. I mean, you sent me the Blu-ray to watch, so it's not available on any streaming sites for free at the moment, is it? It's not, no. And um, just before we look at the old synopsis there, I mean, the cast, they're not really particularly known apart from Chris Sarandon, who, other than this, and he was in Child's Play as well, anyone likes the Chucky movies, but he's uh, probably most famous for being uh, Jack Skellington. He's the voice of uh, him, if anyone likes Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, well, I certainly do. Um, and do you know what? I didn't even put two and two together there. That's how bad my uh, knowledge is. Um, yeah, I mean, the cast isn't very well known at all, is it? I'm just looking at Roddy McDowell. I thought I recognised that name. He plays someone in, he plays Peter Vincent, doesn't he? Yeah. I've seen yeah, what he things plays. he's been in. He's been in loads of shit, but I can't be bothered to scroll through it. I mean, he's been around for years. Um, but yeah, certainly um, the, was it William, William Ragsdale and people like that didn't really go on to do anything that I know of. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you how I know this. It's actually a friend who found out. But old Stephen Jeffries, uh, who plays Edward Thompson, or better otherwise known as Evil Ed, who I'm sure we'll discuss as we go through this movie, he went on to do gay porn after this. So that was the extent <laughs> of um, his career from that. And uh, with his haircut, it shouldn't really come as much of a shock. His hair's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell, I don't know what's going on now. I mean, that's a fright night in itself. <laughs> Certainly is. So um, let's take a look at the old synopsis here and see what this one's all about then. So, 17-year-old Charlie Brewster is a fan of a horror TV series called Fright Night, hosted by former movie vampire hunter Peter Vincent. One evening, Charlie discovers that his new next-door neighbour, Jerry Dandridge, is a vampire responsible for the disappearances of several victims. After telling his mother, Charlie asks his girlfriend, Amy Peterson, and his friend, Evil Ed Thompson, for help before contacting the authorities. That's pretty much just a snapshot of how this one uh, opens up. What were your thoughts on this one, JT? <laughs> well, from the minute this opens, obviously it's a mid-80s film. It is, I mean, we've done quite a few 80s films in our podcast. We, we like the 80s, but this just screams fucking 80s. Then the music opens up with the moon and the howl and everything, and then the 80s and the sound effects and the, the cameras panning around, and then it sort of goes to the room where, um, uh, what's his name, Charlie and Amy are. <laughs> they're getting on, they're both fully clothed with older... Peter Vincent going on in the background, but it's just fucking so typical 80s, the intro to this film. Yeah, it is. and just the way the writing comes up, and it's like the F and the um the T, isn't it? And they like drip down like vampire blood and that, and it's just so fucking cheesy. But I do like that show he's watching. Uh, Peter Vincent's obviously supposed to be uh um Vincent Price kind of like take on that, isn't he? But just obviously a bit more hammy. I love the fact that um, Charlie's on the bed of obviously Amy getting it on, but he's more interested in watching some old geezer on the TV than he is about getting his end away, apparently. Yeah, and then um, he's like, oh, we've been going together for a year or something and nothing's ever happened. And then she's like, she suddenly sort of turns and goes, okay, come on, get into bed with me. And he's there looking out of his fucking binoculars at the people next door. She's pretty much ready for action. and He's too busy looking at the fucking people next door. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's like one minute, like I say, he's up for it and then she's not and then the other way around and then she storms off and then we sort of cut to the next day and we see him coming home from school and he's driving that, I mean, their estate, they're sort of like their town and everything looks obviously typical average sort of 80s horror movie town, isn't it? But I don't know what the hell is going on with his car or what it's supposed to be he's driving. It's got these different like, kind of like paint splodges all over it. It's weird, isn't it? It's like he's done it with a roller as well, isn't it? They're just like stripes going down, sort of vertically down the car in random places. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um, we do meet Evil Ed in that scene, don't we? Um, but briefly, and from the first minute we meet him, I'm like, you're fucking annoying. And he doesn't change throughout the whole film. He's one of the most annoying movie characters I think I've ever seen. Oh, his laugh is fucking horrendous, though, isn't it? It's such a like squeaky squawk of a bloody laugh. And he's just such an... It's an odd-looking guy. I mean, no offence, obviously, the actor and anything, whose name I've forgotten and can't be bothered to look at by clicking the button to read. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just so fucking strange, isn't he? And then we get old um, Charlie comes home and there's some sort of like done-up, you know, fancy woman, like, looking for a, the house and he sends her next door. Then later on in his bedroom, isn't he? he's, like, watching Peter Vincent again and then he sees her at the window naked, getting her sort of, like, gear on and then Jerry Dandridge is behind her looking all saucy and then spots his nails and his fangs and everything and Luckily, Jerry Dandridge clocks him beforehand and um, doesn't kill her in front of him. But obviously, you know that she croaks it. Yeah, it's quite funny. And he pulls up and she's like there with his 
fucking skirt, which is more like a belt, and her tops were hanging open as well. And she's like, is this 99 Oak? And he's like, oh, no, he's next door. And his eyes are lit up. He's fucking, I'm sure he's got a fucking stalk on as well. Um, he gets a bit excited, doesn't he? And then his mum's talking about the next door neighbour, saying, oh, he's just moved in and everything. He looks quite nice. And he, he's, But no, my luck, he might be gay. And old uh, Charlie's like, oh, he's definitely not gay. And she's like, what makes you say, say that? And he's like, oh, nothing. Obviously alluding to the woman he's just seen. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And that's actually the first time we actually clock Jerry Dandridge, isn't it? We don't see him in the window. We haven't actually seen him up until now, apart from a brief glimpse of him in the shadows, like when Charlie first sees the neighbours moving in. This is the first time we actually kind of see him as such. Yeah, and again, I mean, more 80s, isn't it? Like when he's looking through his binoculars and old Jerry's behind that woman, and obviously you get a bit of a bit of 80s boob action because in every 18-rated 80s movie, there had to be some boobs in there somewhere. And the fucking music playing, <laughs> like they're getting it on. It's just, I don't know what it's supposed to be. And then Jerry Dandridge just gives him this such a cheesy look, doesn't he, when he's behind her and he sees his fangs and then you see his sort of clawed finger pull the blind down. It's just so fucking cheesy, but it is quite good. It is, yeah. Like, I've got a fucking soft spot for this music. Like you say, it's so cheesy. I think it's called like Come to Me, this tune, because it's like do 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 and then it just goes wow, wow, wow. That's the one. Weird. That's exactly it. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I do like that piece of music, but it's fucking <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's amazing. He runs downstairs and says to his mum, oh, the next door neighbour's got fangs and she's having none of it. So he just fucking runs outside and hides in the bushes. Yeah, exactly. And like, to be fair to the vampires, like Jerry's obviously he's killed her and put his kit back on and they like bandaged her up because in the time it takes old fucking Charlie the time to get down, talk to his mother, then get in the garden, like Jack Dandridge and um, Billy Cole, who we meet a little bit later on, are already like shoving the woman in the back of the car. So they moved a bit sharpish, didn't they? Yeah, they did pretty well there, didn't they? Exactly that. And then, like, fucking Jerry likes his apples in this film, doesn't he? He's sat there chomping away on an apple and he sort of chucks it down on the ground. And that's when old uh, Charlie runs back into the house and Jerry gives him another sort of knowing look, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's strange, actually, because normally, like, vampires don't eat, like, human food, do they? But Dandridge is, like, a bit of a fruit fiend in this, as you say. He loves his bloody apples, doesn't he? <laughs> He's always chomping on one. And then he tells Amy everything just before he goes... Um, to the detective, and um, she doesn't believe a fucking word he's saying, does she? She's like, no, I'm not having any of this. And um, just before this, is, is this the bit where, um, I don't know if we've seen it in this bit or not, where he's um, trying to make up with Amy again after uh, she's um, a bit pissed off with him after he ran off the other night, and then that guy, she just shoves a burger in his face, or am I getting a little bit ahead of myself here? Now, it is in this scene, isn't it, when they're at school? Yeah, it is, because he's trying to tell her, and then she's like saying, oh, you're just trying to get me back or something, or like win me back, and he then, like they're sort of making up, but then he spots the kind of missing woman thing on the um the TV, doesn't he? That's when he clocks that it was the woman he saw last night, or something around those lines, and then like you say, she throws a burger, and then we get fucking Evil Ed going, you're so cool, Brewster! <laughs> it's really random that they've, they're in, I mean, I don't know anything about American schools, but they're there, I'm assuming, in the canteen having lunch, and like they've got the news playing, and they're obviously watching this about the murders on the news, which is obviously distracting, which it would be, considering he just saw the woman who he'd seen the night before. But fucking old Evil Ed's loving it, isn't he? He's like, oh, and they had their heads chopped off. He thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, he's just fucking he's just such an odd <laughs> character, isn't he? he <laughs> and is. just, and just before we move on, that bit um back in the garden when um Jerry throws the apple at um at Charlie when he spots him in the bushes, we get a bit of a kind of lost boys moment, don't we? Where like Jerry 
jumps off the roof of his house, but you just see like the camera in first person and the footsteps are running along his trellis and you hear like random bat noises and suddenly he appears behind a tree. Yeah, there's a couple of bits like that, isn't there, in this film? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has got sort of an essence of Lost Boys. This was before Lost Boys, was it? A couple of years before? Yeah, I think yeah. Lost Boys was 87, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Sounds right, yeah. So now Detective Lennox goes with Charlie to Jerry's house to question him, but his roommate, Billy Cole, tells him that Jerry is away on business. Charlie reveals his suspicions about Jerry's vampirism, and Lennox leaves furious. That night, Charlie is shocked to see Jerry inside his house, having been invited in by Charlie's mother. Later, Jerry visits Charlie and offers him a choice. Ignore his vampiric activities or else. Charlie refuses, brandishing a crucifix at Jerry. And Jerry tries to push him out the window to his death. Charlie stabs Jerry's hand with a pencil. Jerry destroys Charlie's car, sorry, in retaliation and threatens Charlie over the telephone. (laughs) (laughs) This this whole sequence of events is quite funny, isn't it? I mean, he turns up at the fucking house with the detective. The first thing he says is, like, there's a coffin in the basement. Pretty much, the detective's having none of it though, is he? He's like, no, you fucking, you're, you're lying, you're dick. I mean, Jerry, well, Billy, to be fair, is quite good at deflecting him, but detective pretty much like storms out and basically says, if you call me again or whatever, I'm just going to arrest you. So I don't believe a fucking word you're saying. So he's having none of it, is he? No, he's not. And to be fair, I mean, it's always the same in these movies. But not being funny, I mean, would you believe him? No. Like, say Billy Cole, he's kind of quite sort of. I say brushing it off, but kind of like being quite casual about it as well. Because like, oh, I took some garbage out. Do you want to go and do it? Like he's being quite open with the copper, but straight away, and Charlie's like, "Let's look in the basement instead." And then he's like, "What's down there, Charlie?" And then fucking Billy Cole behind him's got this really sarky face. He's like, "Yes, Charlie, what's down there?" Just pulls this weird face. <laughs> yeah, then he goes to bloody evil, doesn't he? And evil's having none of it as well at first until he offers him eight bucks, and then suddenly he's like, "All right, I'll help you." And he gives him a crucifix and says, get some garlic and holy water. And then that's when he tells him a vampire can't enter your house without being invited, which is obviously one of the, the things about vampires. And then obviously conveniently he goes home and he's just fucking sat there because his mum's invited him in. Yeah, no, it's like, fucking hell, man. Couldn't you have fucking waited? Um, that's one thing I do like about this film. I mean, it's funny in, in general, really, but I do like the fact that it's got that kind of classic vibe, like there's rules around vampires, like they can't be, they can't come unless they've been invited. Um, there's like the holy water and then there's the crucifix. But in this one, they actually throw that spin on it that you've actually got to have faith in the crucifix and believe that it will protect you. You can't just wave a crucifix at a vampire and it will protect you. You actually have to believe in God, I guess, um, or whatever. And obviously plays a bit of a part in this as the movie goes on. Yeah, I did think that was quite good as well. I mean, his mum's obviously playing up to it as well, not knowing he's a vampire. She's like, oh, he can come around any time, properly like sort of sort of saying this just to obviously um sort of hammer it up a little bit and then you do get a false alarm don't you before he um sees jerry in his house you hear all the noises and he goes downstairs but it's just the wind and jerry's upstairs just randomly in his mum's bedroom and then we get the fucking 80s music again don't we while jerry's sort of prancing around the house that's brilliant we also get it as well when charlie first comes home because it's like oh um charlie here this is our neighbor jerry dandridge and then like closes in on his foot and then like goes up his leg and he looks around the chair and you get the whole bow, bow, bow thing again. <laughs> Hello, Charlie. And then like Bruce is just there like pulling his fucking stupid face. But we hear that tune about a thousand times as this movie goes on. Yeah, we do. And when Jerry's in his bedroom, I think he comes out of the cupboard. It takes him ages to notice he's behind him, doesn't he? He's walking up and it's literally, well, vampires don't have breath today, but he's right behind him before he turns around and sees him there. And then he obviously gives him the, um, 
the sort of the choice, forget about me being a vampire or, or else. But how does his mum not wake up? I mean, she does eventually, but the first thing he does is chuck him through his wardrobe, which makes a shit ton of noise. Yeah, I've always thought that because first of all, like I say, he appears in his mum's room and then he like he pulls her door, doesn't he? Like and kind of breaks the kind of hinge or something to try and lock yeah. her in her bedroom. I mean, that would make a loud snap anyway. But like you say, he fucking launches um, a fucking Charlie across the room through his wardrobe. And then he's like got him by the throat. And as he's lifting him up against the wall, he's like kicking this fucking, I don't know, shitty little pinball machine. But mm. that's making a fucking racket as well. And yeah, his mum obviously must be a real deep sleeper. I I slept that well. And then she does actually mention about Valium in a second, doesn't she? But um, before that, we um, obviously you said there in the synopsis, he's trying to push him out the window, but he's doing a pretty shit job. He's sort of got his head out of the window and he's sort of almost strangling him as he's trying to push him out. And then he does stab his hand with that pencil. He goes spinning off. It's so stupid. <laughs> I don't know why he goes spinning off somewhere. But it's actually not too bad practical effects when he sort of all vamps up and everything. And in, in that's when obviously when uh, Charlie sees him in his full vamp sort of style. But yeah, just when he spins off, it's just hilarious. It is. I've always found this fucking hilarious. He literally does a Michael Jackson, doesn't he? He's just like, oh! He goes fucking like spinning off. And the, the fucking stupid thing is, though, it's like, you're a vampire for fuck's sake. I mean, you can handle pretty much anything. Being stabbed with a fucking HP pencil is not really going to do much damage to you. But also, he gets fucking stabbed in the hand, and then, like, after he's finished fucking breakdancing, and he sort of, like, turns around, the pencil was, like, all the way through his hand, and he had his hand around Charlie's throat, so if Charlie actually stabbed the pencil that far in, he would have stabbed himself in the throat and killed himself anyway. Oh, that's a really good shout. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I was too busy sort of looking at the sort of makeup when he was actually a vamp. But, um, yeah. Really good shout. And then, so his mum does come in now, eventually. Uh, she manages to get out of her room. She comes in. That's when she says, you know, what the fuck's been going on? He's like, oh, I had a nightmare. And then she offers him some Valium. It's great. Offer your son some Valium. Fair enough. <laughs> and then, so he's just been scared shitless by the fact Jerry's been in his room and vamped up and everything. Then he just sticks Peter Vincent on. It's probably not the best idea. And then we say this in all these 80s films. Bloody, he's got a phone in his bedroom. All these kids have got phones in their bedrooms. And then... Old uh, Jerry gives him a ring, and he was fairly non-sweaty. And then the minute Jerry starts speaking to him, it pans back to him, and he's fucking drenched in sweat, isn't he? Fucking is, isn't he? Yeah, he literally turned into Lee Evans in one phone call. Get <laughs> out of him. He also, does. It's like Jerry destroys his car, and um, obviously, I assume he like completely fucking rips it apart or something. But all you hear is a little like cling clang, and Charlie says to his mum, "Oh, I think there's some raccoons out there." And it's like, oh, sure. Yeah make a lot more noise destroying whatever your fucking car is his mum i mean maybe she is on valium herself i'm assuming she is but she's so like docile isn't she like does she not notice the fact his room's been trashed as well like the fact he's been thrown through the wardrobe does she not go what the fuck's going on there um and yeah she didn't hear anything well eventually she comes in but she's pretty chilled out and he goes oh it's just some raccoons outside don't worry about it and she's like all right cool let's go back to bed then yeah, and then we get, um, obviously, Jerry's on the phone to Charlie, and he's looking across the window again, and this time, Billy Cole's kind of, like, fixing his hand. I'm like, well, you're a vampire. Surely you just heal. You don't need someone to do fucking first aid on you. And then he's like, oh, I've just destroyed your car, but it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you tomorrow night. So straight away, we know we've got that kind of 24-hour countdown for Charlie to kind of do a bit of a home alone thing and find a way to stop Jerry Dandridge. Oh, they always get a 24-hour or some kind of countdown, though, don't they? Like, the, uh, you know, apocalypse is coming or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so now Charlie turns to Peter Vincent for help, but Peter dismisses Charlie as an obsessed fan. Amy, fearing for Charlie's sanity and safety, hires the uh, destitute Peter to prove that Jerry is not a vampire by having him drink what they claim is holy water. 
but it is only tap water. Jerry has claimed to Peter that drinking actual holy water would be against his religious convictions. Peter discovers Charlie is right about Jerry's true nature after glancing at his pocket mirror and noticing Jerry's lack of a reflection, causing him to accidentally drop the mirror. Peter then flees, but Jerry learns of his discovery after finding a shard of the mirrored glass on the floor. I quite like this sequence, actually. Um, obviously, Charlie goes to Peter, and Peter's just like, you're a fucking lunatic. And then Amy goes and offers him $500, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go for it. But the whole bit in the house where they're sort of doing the test on Jerry Dandridge, I thought it was probably one of the best sequences of the movie. Yeah, I'd quite like it as well. He does find Peter Vincent pretty easily. I mean, obviously, I know he's at the studio or whatever, but he just walks out and goes, hi. He's like, all right. He just bumps into him randomly. You think it wouldn't be that easy just to find being a, a celebrity in inverted commas. And first of all, Peter Vincent's like, oh, do you want my autograph or something? He's like, no, no, no. My next door neighbor's a vampire. And he's like, no, nah, fuck off. You're talking shit, which you probably would. But um, it's sort of Peter Vincent's face when he, uh, Charlie says, oh, I've seen a vampire next door. And he's like, okay. And then just drives off. Yeah, I do like the bit um, you're saying there about the autograph. When Evil Ed and Amy go to Peter Vincent and then say, like, you need to help us because Charlie's obviously, we're worried about him. And it's like, do you want my autograph? No. Oh, really? And what could be more important than my autograph? Saving someone's <laughs> life? Oh, yes, well, I suppose you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? Before they go and see old Vincent, they turn up at um, Charlie's house and he's got candles and garlic and shit everywhere, only. I mean, those candles must be an absolute fire hazard. And where's he got them all from? <laughs> and he tells him he's going to go and kill um, Jerry. And Amy says, oh, no, it's murder. You can't do it. And she's, like, really against it. And then she's just like, oh, actually, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll do it. Let's go and get Peter Vincent. She just suddenly changes her mind. Yeah, I don't... I never quite understood. I mean, I know, obviously, Charlie is a bit of a horror fanatic and everything. And he's, like, make, he's sharpening the stakes and everything. I get all that. But why is he lighting all the candles? He looks like he's about to do a fucking Sisters of Mercy music video. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you don't need all this shit. And like you say, it's a bloody fire hazard of nothing else. Well, if Jerry turned up in his house again, which obviously he can now, he's been invited. He's not one of those candles over. He's going to kill everyone, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He turned up and like, what are you going to do? Wish me happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just was a bit random. I mean, there's loads of fucking candles, isn't there? And then when they first get to Jerry's place, he's just got clocks everywhere. I mean, what's going on with all that? Yeah, I don't know what the whole thing is. I was supposed to wake him up from his coffin or something, but I'm sure Billy Cole could just go down and like knock on the coffin and be like, oh, wake up. Yeah, I mean, before they go there as well, old um, Evil calls Jerry, doesn't he? I mean, where did they get the number from? I guess it's in the phone book, because there's Evil, um, Vincent and Amy, isn't there? And they call him and arrange to meet him at six o'clock the next day. And he's like, um, can we bring some crosses in holy water? He's like, oh, yeah, all right, then go on, crack on. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, I think he says no, doesn't he, about the, the, the crucifixes, I don't know if I remember rightly. Yeah, because he's like saying he's um just taking on like a new religion and he thinks yeah, it'll be it. this, that and the other. And then they're like, oh, well, we'll give you tap water and pretend it's holy water. And he kind of reluctantly agrees and everything. But one thing about Jerry Dandridge is obviously he's done up to be this kind of like suave, seductive vampire. And I know it's the 80s, but he's there in this really woolen, like turtle neck swe- sweater, like in his house and everything. It's like, that must be the only time in my life I've seen a vampire wearing a fucking turtleneck. <laughs> it is a bit strange, isn't it? He's definitely got a weird dress sense. He wears a big, long sort of leather coat a bit later on. Um, I mean, the house does look well dodgy when they turn up. You can tell something's definitely not right there. And then when he comes down the stairs at first to meet them, all, he's eating another bloody apple. Yeah, yeah, he is, and he loves his fruit. And like you say, it's got a really kind of like over-the-top, eerie kind of smoke effect outside. And then this is only just like a random... I mean, it's a nice house. American houses are quite big. There's like a mansion inside, and he's got this really elaborate kind of like glass-stained window at the top of his stairs, doesn't he? That obviously kind of like obviously he behind him as he comes down the stairs and he's just like, Mr. Vincent, 
I've seen all of your films and I found them very amusing. Sort of taking the piss a bit. <laughs> and then the first thing Charlie says pretty much is, Where's your coffin? Or where'd you keep your coffin or something? It's like, You're not beating about the bush here at all, is it? Are you? And then Jerry comes down and he's properly cheesing up with Amy and he kisses her hand and everything. He's given her the eye. And obviously later on that comes into play a bit more. Yeah, obviously he's like a grown man. I assume obviously she's Charlie's age. She's got to be like 17 or something. It's just the way he's like, And who are these two attractive young people sort of staring at her? If I was like Peter Vinton, I'd be like, All right, hang on. Yeah, I know. So it's a little bit dodgy, isn't it? And then obviously he drinks the holy water and nothing happens. And then Charlie wants him to um, hold the crucifix. But Peter Vincent's like, no, 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 he's not a vampire. Come on, let's go. He's pretty much said, no, definitely not. No, come on, let's crack on. And then obviously, conveniently, he gets his mirror out and then sees a non-reflection. <laughs> that probably freaks him out. And he just fucking drives off. Yeah, he does. He doesn't hang about, does he? He's like, oh, no. oh, oh, time to go. And he just fucking runs away. And obviously Charlie chases him. And he's like, he didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. Then just fucks off. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you're not going to stay in hell then. No, he's fucking gone. So then they walk Amy home and Evil pretends he's been bitten by a vampire when he walks down that alley. And he's like, <laughs> he <laughs> probably like fucking mugs them off and they come and like running. He's like, no, nah, I'm only fucking joking. But obviously that comes to bite him on the ass in the next scene. Yeah, so Jerry hunts down Ed and turns him into a vampire. Then Ed proceeds to visit Peter and tries to attack him, only to be warded off um, and burned by a crucifix to the forehead. Meanwhile, Jerry chases Charlie and Amy into a nightclub. While Charlie tries to call the police, Jerry hypnotizes and abducts Amy, who resembles Jerry's lost love and bites her. With nowhere left to turn, Charlie attempts to gain Peter's help once more. A frightened Peter initially refuses, but then reluctantly resumes his vampire killer role. Entering Jerry's house, the two are able to repel Jerry using a crucifix that only Charlie's works since he has faith in his spiritual power. Billy appears and knocks Charlie over the banister while Peter flees to Charlie's house. There, he is surprised by Ed, who attacks him in the form of a wolf, only to be pierced through the heart with a broken table leg held by Peter. Removing the stake from Ed's body, Peter goes to rescue Charlie and battle Jerry. That's obviously two chunks of what happens here. But like you say, first of all, you've got them sort of like walking Amy home and then Ed does his whole bit in the alleyway and he's like, hey, Amy, Charlie, and all that sort of stuff and runs off. And then obviously uh, Jerry Dandridge catches up to him, but he's actually quite seductive here, isn't he? He's like saying to Ed, you know, he doesn't try and like brutalise him. He's like, no, join me and I'll make sure no one bullies you again or no one makes fun of you and stuff. So he kind of, brings Ed over to his side pretty easily. He does. I mean, he didn't really have a choice because he chases him down that alley. This thing's gone for fucking ever. Um, and there's smoke going always. Um, but you see that in these cities anyway, in New York or whatever, there's smoke coming out of the drains and all that. But it's obviously conveniently as Jerry walks towards him, there's smoke and everything all looking kind of eerie or whatever. But he's trapped him, isn't he? He's got no choice. He's like, take my hand. And I guess he didn't really have a fucking choice. I mean, what was he going to do? Yeah, exactly. And I know it's such an 80s look, isn't it? Those like smoky alleyways. And that is quite eerie the way they do it. Because you just see like the smoke and like the silhouette of Jerry. And every time Ed kind of turns a different corner, Jerry just happens to be down there doing his fucking Jason Voorhees appearing everywhere. Um, but yeah, I suppose he didn't really have a choice. Then they, they get to the nightclub and we have a very cheesy, pretty um good soundtrack, if I might say, actually, even though it is very 80s and everything. And um, Again, using some of those old school vampire powers where he actually uses seduction to kind of hypnotize Amy because Charlie's like, no, fucking stand still. And she keeps wandering off onto the dance floor to dance with Jerry. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a weird scene, isn't it? They, they sort of have a bit of a chase with old uh, Jerry and everywhere they sort of go, he appears in front of them. Then 
don't they run through like a, a kitchen into the nightclub? I mean, what's going on there? It's like a chef chasing them at one point. And then <laughs> when Evil goes to see um, old Peter Vincent and he, he sees he's a vampire, he's still a fucking prick even as a vampire, isn't he? He still wound me up. He is, yeah. You'd have thought, like, if you were turning to a vampire, you'd be, I don't know, a bit more, I don't know, cooler or more controlled. But he's still a fucking nightmare, isn't he? Because he sort of turns around and it's like, Peter Vincent, what are we going to do? Not me. You. <laughs> and sort of does this fucking weird stuff. And then he gets the classic. I mean, that's quite a famous picture, isn't it, of Ed with the fucking crucifix burnt into his forehead. On, if you're into that sort of, like, cult horror movie stuff. But it's surprising that it works on him because Vincent doesn't have faith in the crucifix, but he actually manages to burn Ed. And I can only assume it's because he's a wanker or a lesser vampire, either or. That's a good point, yeah, because he doesn't have faith in it, does he? But he sort of screams and he puts it on his head. And then, it, obviously, like you say, the, it's quite iconic. Um, I mean, it looks quite good as well, the effect and everything. But um, and then he kind of gives this speech about, I don't know, I can't remember what he says now, and just fucking runs off and jumps through the window. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's like the master will kill you for That's this it. and then fucking belly flops out of the window. But um yeah, I really dig the practical effects in this movie. As you know, I like practical effects, but I think for a movie that didn't have much of a budget, I know times have changed, I suppose, back in the day, these sort of horror movies are a bit more kind of um regular, so there probably were some, you know, they were quite easier to get hold of artists to do these type of special effects than maybe certain other films. But for the budget that it had, I think it does actually look pretty good in places. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've got no problem with it at all, particularly, obviously, the, the time it was made, 85. Um, why, why, though, when it cuts back, and they're obviously in the nightclub now after being chased by that chef for some reason, um, every 80s film, there has to be a scene in a nightclub, doesn't there? It's just, I, I don't know why. I mean, Terminator comes to mind as well, and Arnie's walking through the club, but it's not just that. It's virtually every film that was in, out around this sort of time. And he had his coat on, Jerry, um, as he was walking through the alleyways, and now he hasn't got it on. So what's he done? Is he's walked in? Is he giving it to like the, the doorman? Yeah, you, know, you know, obviously you can go to the cloakroom, put your coat in. Is he paid a dollar to hang his coat up? Makes you wonder though, because he doesn't seem like the sort of guy who would actually, you know, feel the need to do that sort of thing. And I doubt he'd even fucking pay the toll, would he? Because uh, in Terminator, we had Annie Lennox on the door, and Arnie just walked <laughs> past her. So it might have been the same here. Um, yeah, you're right. I don't know what happens to his jacket. No, just a bit weird that he's not got it on. Maybe he's trying to blend in a bit. It might look even more a bit sort of out of place if he had his big long coat on. I mean, he manages to hypnotise Amy pretty easily or seduce her, but I guess that's obviously vampiric powers coming in. But <laughs> again, obviously he teased her up in the house, but now they're just getting a little bit too um, sort of close, aren't they, considering she's half his age. Yeah, it's a bit a bit weird, isn't it? And you notice how her hair, like I know obviously later on she changes a lot, but as they're dancing, her hair is like seems to be like going more bouffant and changing. And like her shirt's coming undone and everything. It gets a little bit saucy on the dance floor there. And um, then um, Charlie comes in and sort of try and break him up and that, and then it all kicks off into a fight. And then he, as Charlie and Amy are sort of running away at this point in time, Jerry ends up killing a few bouncers, doesn't he? He just randomly, I think he slits one of their throats, doesn't he? And then the other one is a big fucking unit. I mean, he's more fat than muscle, but he comes towards him and he picks him up and throws him. And he slides across the floor. It's quite funny. <laughs> It is stupid because he just slides rages, doesn't he? Just <laughs> he does. Going like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did make me laugh. And then when Amy's back at his place now, though, she looks fucking, again, it's like it's a bit sort of too, I don't know, it's just, she's too young. It's just, I don't know, something about him and her just made me a bit, ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it is um a little bit seedy, isn't it? And it's um this is taken clearly straight out of Dracula because he ends up like centuries later finding someone who just happens to look exactly like his long lost love from centuries past and then tries to steal her away. So they obviously 
obviously just bootleg that sort of bit of storyline that's going on. But um, yeah, they're obviously getting a bit hanky panky in the bedroom when he sort of, I assume he sleeps with her, but he also turns her at the same time. And then Charlie obviously going to try and get um, Peter Vincent in. He won't let him in the house until he touches the crucifix. Yeah, I mean, when he walks over to um, Amy, old uh, Jerry, he takes his shirt off and everything. He gives her one hell of a fucking bite on her shoulder. The blood's pouring down her back and everything. But she's like, oh, sounds like she's enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, we don't see anything else, thank God. But um, I'm like, okay, fucking hell, that's a good way to start. Yeah, yeah, he's getting on, isn't he? <laughs> and then, um, obviously, they go to the house and they obviously first try and fight Jerry. And again, we've got the dodgy smoke and everything outside. And then, what was it? They're back there, go to the door. And then Peter Vincent obviously nearly like bottles it. He's like, oh, let's come back in the morning because I'll be asleep and we can get them then and tries to fucking run off again. Yeah, and then Jerry's randomly got changed again. He has quite a few outfit changes in this film. He, he does it pretty quick as well because he had his shirt off and everything when he was with Amy and now he's got another outfit on when they, he comes, when they come in the house to see him. He's right, a bit like Delboy, isn't he? He usually goes through like two or three suits an episode. Oh, Dandridge must be uh, learning from the best. He must be. And speaking of only fools, when old um, Charlie shows the cruc- crucifix at Jerry, he makes a bit of a, a noise like Trigger did at the seance. We did an Our Only Fools episode last week. He's like, oh, as he sort of spins off and he sees the uh, the, the uh, crucifix. He does that. And then he makes this really like weird laugh, like he's taking the piss because obviously he's like, oh, you don't have faith in it or anything like that. Um, so they have a bit of a scuffle and he beats him quite, pretty, uh, quite easy, doesn't he? Like, Billy Cole turns up and just like backhands Charlie and Peter just fucking pisses his pants and legs it. And then he goes to fucking Charlie's house. He's like, he's a poster. And then fucking, he runs up to the bed and first thing he sees is his bright red wig. It's like, do you really, I know you haven't met Charlie's mum, but does Charlie Strike, who's the sort of person who would have a mum with a bright red fucking hair and it's obviously evil head with a mop on his head, isn't it? It's fucking weird, isn't he? Just in, in her bed for no apparent reason with a fucking mop on his head. <laughs> That's when he says about his mum having the fucking uh, his tea in the oven, isn't it? When he says, oh, she's left him a note. But when he turns into the dog, old um, Ed, and he's running it, um, uh, Peter, how long's that fucking hallway? He's running for about 30 seconds before he actually jumps at him. In nice coincidence, movie 101, again, we get this every week, that he manages to fall on that thing. The table leg breaks into exactly the right shape and state that he manages to shove through its heart. Yeah, it is a bloody long hallway. And they get the kind of cheesy, like the wolf comes out. It's a proper wolf, to be fair to him. But then they put the kind of like cheesy red eyes glowing, mm. don't they? Which kind of line up. But um, that fucking bit, like obviously when he stakes him, I mean, it goes on for about 20 minutes. It's worse than the bloody howling. But as he's kind of dying and re-transforming, I think that looks fucking brilliant. Like, yeah. again, practical effects but the way he kind of like his foot melts away and then it regrows i'm like that's fucking good considering obviously the uh the time and everything yeah absolutely yeah i was about to say the same thing bread well i thought it looked really good it's pretty gruesome as well i mean it changes obviously it's a dog then it sort of slowly changes back to old fucking knobhead ed i mean must be he's a bit of a dick he did die a pretty horrible death but yeah it's pretty fucking gnarly yeah apparently um i read somewhere that scene and the, the um there's another gory bit coming up in a bit with um billy cole those bits were cut short in certain regions because they found them i think they're just a bit too gruesome for the time i guess um and they were cut down by quite a bit but i think they're probably like the two probably the biggest kind of like big budget money shots of the whole movie i'd say yeah i agree um i mean it's very 80s special effects and i mean we've done the fly that looks similar some similar sort of shots in that with people melting obviously we had robocop with a guy melting and getting smacked by the car it's a very sort of 80s effect people melting and that kind of thing isn't it which is what we're going to see with billy in a minute jumping ahead a bit yeah absolutely we we suddenly go a little bit raided right the lost ark in uh, the next sequence so um we do let's, 
<laughs> so let's see what happens. So now Charlie is locked in with Amy, who is slowly transforming into a vampire. Eater frees him before she awakens and says the process can be reversed if they destroy Jerry before dawn. Billy confronts Charlie and Peter and is revealed to be undead. They destroy Billy, who melts into goo and sand. Peter is able to lure the overconfident Jerry in front of a window using a crucifix, which now works due to his renewed faith in his abilities. As the sun rises, Jerry transforms into a bat and attacks Peter and Charlie before fleeing to his coffin in the basement. Charlie and Peter pursue Jerry, and the latter breaks open Jerry's coffin to try and stake him through the heart while Charlie fights off Amy, who was almost completed, who has almost completed her transformation, sorry. By breaking uh, the blackened out windows in the basement, Peter and Charlie expose Jerry to sunlight, destroying him and returning Amy to her human form. Now this bit's um, pretty full on for an ending of the, um, the bit. Obviously, Amy's turning into a vampire. And I've got to admit, obviously, I used to watch this when I was a kid and we didn't have the internet back then. Obviously, we were in hard times. But I always thought that it may be a different actress playing her when she becomes a vampire because she just looks so different. But it is obviously the same girl, just with different makeup. Yeah, I mean, her hair's grown. She's now got shoulder-length hair when she had a little sort of... Well, I don't know what it was before, but it was short hair anyway. I mean, she looks quite good as a vampire. Before she goes all fucking weird and her mouth goes massive, she actually looks quite <laughs> hot at first. She's got a bit of a little pokey nipple going on as well, but that's another story. Um, but <laughs> Peter just seems to know what room they're in as well. He goes into Jerry, back into Jerry's house after he pulls the stake out of old poor dickhead Ed's heart, and he just seems to know exactly where they are straight away. And then Jerry's eating another fucking apple in this scene as well. So, my God, how many apples do you eat? Yeah, I know. Fucking hell. He's keeping the bloody uh, fucking farm in, um, in order, isn't he, with all his fucking apple orders and everything. But yeah, considering this house of Jerry Dandridge's seems to be like a mansion on the inside and like a fucking labyrinth. I mean, I wouldn't mind living in there. It's actually quite a large house and quite nice looking without all the clocks. But um, yeah, he manages to find them and obviously get them out and everything. And then I swear there's a bit where they're at the window and Jerry Dandridge just kind of appears on the outside like going, Oh, he does. In his fucking vampire form and then just vanishes. <laughs> yeah, he does, definitely. I think um, uh, Vincent stood by the, the window and he sort of goes, Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know if he notices him. But then obviously um, Peter, Peter Vincent shoots Billy in the head and he falls downstairs. It's quite comical when he falls downstairs. And then um, Vincent appears, not Vincent, uh, Jerry appears in front of them. And while they're sort of talking to him, older Billy's sneaking up behind him and they don't notice. And then fucking, uh, was it? I think Charlie shoots him about another five times. No, Peter shoots him another five or six times, but he still keeps coming, doesn't he? He does, yeah. This is kind of a bit of a creepy bit. Um, it's not obviously super creepy, but obviously Jerry's at the st- stairs and it's like, we've got him now. And he's like, do you? And vanishes and stuff. And then you see behind them as they're sort of going back up the stairs slowly old um billy cole sort of sits up a bit like michael myers style and is slowly coming up the stairs like you say peter shoots him and then he gets staked by um billy i think uh yeah it's billy's and uh, not billy um charlie who stakes him but then the whole kind of like dying bit like where his hands melting and all that stuff is again pretty full on it is but there's one bit that's quite funny obviously he's melting away in this raiders of the lost ark although it does look a lot better than raiders did but you see his like trousers and all this green sort of goo just coming out you just see this shot of his sort of trousers and green goo sort of pouring out all over his shoes but then when it cuts to his face and that melt in his hand then i don't really know what the point of the sand coming out of him is it's a bit weird yeah i thought the sand was a bit strange it's like what are you a fucking mummy or something i don't know what you know they just run out of props on the set at the time shit run out of goo just put some sand in there no one will yeah, it was a bit strange there. It went from green goo to sand. Like you say, like they ran out almost. And then old um, Jerry's commanding uh, Amy to show um, him how much he loves her by killing Charlie and Peter. 
And then he jumps through the window and just starts laughing and making weird noises. It's like Peter's holding a crucifix up at him. He's like, Ooh, I don't know what the fuck he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> His fucking noises are brilliant. Now, he's got some fucking cracking ones coming up when they're down in the basement. But then he does like this really kind of like, the way he talks is really over the top. He's like, you have to have faith for that to work. <laughs> ridiculous. And obviously Peter, um, Peter, sorry, fucking Charlie jumps out and waves his little crucifix. And I fucking hate his crucifix. It looks like something you find from a cheap fucking charity shop. It's the one Evil Ed gave him, but it's a tiny little thing. Then Jerry fizzles around the room because the sun starts coming up and he turns into this really weird bat of a long chin. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? It looks a little bit more like my cat, to be honest. But he kind of <laughs> flies at him and he attacks Peter and then he bites Charlie's arm, doesn't he? And then he, he just, the sun sort of catches him and he flies off. And then... I don't know, it's a bit fucking weird. How did he manage to get back in his coffin if he was a bat? I mean, did he change back into a vamp when he got to his coffin? Because the next time he's in his coffin, the lid's on. And I'm thinking, well, if you're a bat, you wouldn't be able to lift the coffin lid off and get in there. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, answer's on a postcard if anyone knows, but who knows, <laughs> really. The funny thing as well is, like, well, I say funny, the weird thing is he goes down there and he gets into his coffin and just goes to sleep. It's like, well, you've got two people in <laughs> Fucking, they know where you are. They know what you're doing and everything. You're fucking, your missus is upstairs. She hasn't got any protection from the sun because she's just in that random room. And you've gone for fucking, you know, 20 winks. <laughs> it's pretty fucking random, isn't it? And then when they do start smashing the windows and everything, the, the noise of the glass breaking is just so fake, isn't it? Yeah, this is where he starts making loads of like fucking weird noises because he's like, oh, the sun's coming down. He's trying to hide. He's like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's on, like, fucking, I don't know, like, chuckle vision. Yeah, it does a little bit, doesn't it? But when he finally gets pushed back against the wall and he sort of starts burning into this bat skeleton thing, it's kind of, I don't know, it's equal as good as it is bad. I mean, it looks really fucking shit, but good at the same time, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, it looks really superimposed, doesn't it? Like, really weird. When he hits the wall, you can tell the wall's just a fucking mattress because it, like, bends but doesn't fucking... (laughs) dying but the actual look of the monster you see like this kind of like monstrous skeleton always like mm. intestines that are dangling out i mean that looks pretty gnarly then you've got like fucking i don't know vampire mick jagger amy running around with this fucking gigantic mouth like attacking fucking charlie at the same time that's fucking weird he's weird a mouth's massive it reminded me of that bloody oh, i can't remember what it's called the kids were all into it the moment my door was into it fucking i can't remember what he's called he's i don't know answers on a postcard, but he's got like a big wide mouth with loads of teeth. It reminded me of that. And uh, the name of it literally has escaped me, I'm afraid. I have no idea. But um, yeah, let us know. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll tell you next week, Brad, when we do our next one. Do it, yeah. Um, so now, a few nights later, Peter returns to his Fright Night TV series and announces a hiatus from vampires, presenting a film about alien invaders instead. Charlie and Amy watch the programme as they embrace in bed. Charlie gets up and turns off the TV and glimpses red eyes in Jerry's now vacant house, but dismisses them. Unbeknownst to both Charlie and Amy, a new neighbour has just moved in. That is how the uh, the movie wraps up. What's your thoughts on the conclusion? Um, well, she's actually had a haircut again and gone back to her normal hair, but I guess she's not a vampire anymore, so that obviously makes her hair sort of go back to normal as well. So we'll let her off there. Um, obviously they're they're on the bed making out again, fully clothed. You know, will um, poor old uh, what's his name, Charlie, ever get his end away properly? We don't know. But yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? You get old Peter Vincent coming on the TV, and then you just see those red eyes, and it's typical again. It's an eighties horror, and there was a sequel, as you said at the start. Um, but 
they've always got these weird endings. Apart from Poltergeist, we did last week, where well, the other week wasn't last week, was it a couple of weeks back, where it didn't really have a, a, a sort of silly ending that it should have done. I mean, this just alludes to the fact there was going to be a sequel, and uh, evidently there was. But yeah, not a bad ending, just typical 80s horror, really. Yeah, it is, and it's pretty much any way they can wrap it up. But amazingly, no one in the neighbourhood seemed to notice all the racket that was going on in Jerry Dandridge's house the night before. <laughs> Still, he was like blowing up in windows, smashing in fucking explosions, going left, right, and centre. Yeah, well, they never do in these films, though, do they? I mean, you say you've seen the sequel. I don't know if you remember it. Did the red eyes have anything to do with it, or was that just a complete red herring? It was a red herring, I believe, because from what I remember of the sequel, it's set in like New York or something. I think it is still Charlie and Amy. And they move into like this massive high rise and I think there's vampires in there because, you know, where else would vampires hide out? But a fucking, you know, multi-story building, really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually don't remember it. It was on like TV years and years ago. And I always meant to watch it again, but I never actually went out of my way for it. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I've never seen it. Um, but yeah, all in all, is a quite a typical ending. But yeah, not not bad. Oh, well, there we go. So that is Fright Night, as uh, written by the Wikipedia uh, synopsis there. So thank you to whoever wrote that. The only thing left is to give this one some scores, and I believe it's my turn to go first. This I time, believe it? it is, Bread Roll, yes. Okay, so Fright Night. What to say about Fright Night? Um, I'm actually just going to go straight in for this. This is actually, believe it or not, my favourite vampire movie of all time. I fucking love this film. It's so fucking stupid and ridiculous but it's so brilliant at the same time. It's got all those classic things you just love from, like, the vampire movies. Now, again, it goes into, like, the rules about, you know, can't come into the house without being invited and all that jazz. The acting is shit, but the characters are great in their own right. And Chris Sarandon, to be fair to him, he's probably the only one who can actually, you know, act properly. Um, he plays Jerry Dandridge really well, and I do like Jerry Dandridge as a character. I think he's pretty good, although... Obviously, this is very 80s. Don't expect anything like Major League or anything if you watch it. Um, It's not a very long movie. It's only about an hour and 40, so it doesn't outstay its welcome. The special effects are brilliant. And even as a kid, they used to kind of freak me out a little because of the way they looked. Now I just really appreciate them because they just look really solid. And um, it's probably where most of the budget went because it certainly didn't go on the actors. (laughs) Um, Well, we know what the music is, don't we? It's kind of brilliant and shit at the same time like the rest of the film. But I've got a massive soft spot for this film. I absolutely love it. And we've done, well, this is the third out of some of my favourite vampire movies now. But yeah, I don't think I can give this anything less than five, which it probably deserves a two. But it's going to get a five just because I fucking love it. I couldn't possibly give it any less. So yeah, this is getting five others from me. Oh, good stuff, Fred. Well, five others. That is uh, held in very high esteem then. So, okay, what do I think of this one then? Well, as I said at the start, I couldn't really remember watching this. I'm not sure how many times I've ever seen it. Maybe once or twice before I watched it again for this. And little bits of it came back to me as I was watching it, but most of it, it was almost like watching it again for the first time. I have to say, I did really enjoy it. I mean, it's so fucking 80s, which is a good thing. It's probably my favourite era of movies. I mean... Arnie throughout the 80s was just my hero so anything around the 80s uh, kind of you know gets my attention as we said and you said as well there in your wrap-up the soundtrack's really really good although it's cheesy and fucking annoying at the same time it's still good and it works really well with the film and I did like the couple of tracks they played while they're in the club as well when old uh, Amy and Jerry are getting their slightly uh, scary seductive dance on but yeah I mean the cast in general were a bit hit and miss fucking Ed Oh, man, he's so fucking annoying. But I was, <laughs> his death was a bit horrible, but, you know, he deserved it. But I thought um, Jerry was cool. Um, and I thought Peter Vincent was a cool character as well. Amy and um, 
Charlie, I didn't really care for. They were all right. Typical kids in a horror film, really. They didn't really do anything wrong. Um, the practical practical effects, really, really good. Considering the piddly little budget it had, looks really good. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed watching it. It's a good mix of horror, some definite comedy in there, and a lot of cheese. Uh, I can't give it five. I'm not going to give it that much. Maybe if I'd <laughs> grown up with it like you did, and possibly, but certainly give this a three, a very a very good three. Um, I really enjoyed it, Bread Roll, so I'll, I'll give it a three, and uh, maybe over time it might um, sneak up to a four. But three others for me as we stand right now, Bread Roll. Ah, oh, lovely stuff, JT. Yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm scoring heavily from the heart because I have watched this since I was a kid. It's one of the first vampire movies i think i sort of stayed up late to watch on like the sci-fi channel back when it was the sci-fi channel as well not sci-fi as it is now um but yeah three yeah definitely a good score i'm glad you enjoyed it mm. yeah i did did really enjoy it so there we go that is uh the hyperbaric goats review of fright night let's know what you think of this uh particular movie if you've seen it um get in touch with us at the hyperbaric goats on twitter and this is, um, we were going to do four, but um, as we had to miss last week, we're now be only doing three, but this is the first of a uh, three-week section of uh, horror movies we're going to be doing throughout Halloween. So stay tuned, and we'll update you on what we're going to try and review next week, if all things go according to plan. Thank you for joining us, and from Bread Roll, I am signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. Nice to meet you, Charlie. See ya. Soon. <laughs>